0: It's an interesting passage, isn't it? Uh, you might have noticed that this week we are returning to our journey through the Old Testament. Uh, it's been an interesting journey so far. We spent some time uh, looking at uh, the introduction to the Bible, the introduction to the Old Testament. And we saw that, that right from the beginning, uh, God made everything good. He made us to be his representatives. And then the story is that we, we rebelled against God. We fell. We abandoned him. And then God chose to do something about that. God decided to work through one person, Abraham. And through Abraham, he would ultimately bless the world. Jesus would come uh, from the line of Abraham. But, but the Old Testament, the main emphasis there is on making God known to the world. And God uses Abraham and Abram's descendants, Israel, to make him famous to the world around. They were meant to be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests you know, God's representatives showing the world who God is and what he is like. And then you might remember a couple of weeks back, we looked at judges and the people are in the land and everything looks like it's going well. But by you come to judges, you find that, that the people have actually, well, they don't know God. They refuse to know God. And the book tells us downward spiral of lawlessness and rejection of God. By the time we get here to 1 Samuel uh, Israel's been in the land that God had promised to Israel uh, for some time, maybe as long as or more than 200 years. And we've got Samuel here. He is uh, he's a prophet of God, but we can also argue that he is the last of the judges. And, and just by the way, judges, uh, most of the judges don't seem to have judged. They seem to have been military kind of rulers. Um, they, they were people who saved God's people uh, at different times. So we have here Samuel, and in fact, if you go to verse 7, you'll read of Samuel leading Israel to victory. He is the last of these judges, but he's also getting on in years. He's, he's, he's well advanced. He's at the point where people are thinking about the day when he's dead, thinking about the day when you know, he is no longer there to guide the people, to speak for God to them. Uh, strangely, Samuel has set up his two sons uh, to be judges in Beersheba, I believe that's to the southern region. So quite far on the edges, uh, but that's where he set them up. And one Samuel 8 doesn't make much of that, but it's really odd that he would say that his sons should be judges because throughout the time of the judges, it is God who appoints people to lead his his people Israel. And these two sons, well, they've got good names. One of them is called Joel, uh, which means Yahweh is God. And the other one is called Abishah, which means Yahweh is Father. I mean, they've got really good names. It's just a pity that they aren't as good as their names. These were not people after God's own heart. They were corrupt. They weren't interested in, in helping Israel know and love God. If anything, their actions showed contempt towards both God and his people. And so Israel is worried at this point in time about their future. They're worried about what's going to happen when Samuel passes on, when Samuel dies. And worrying about the future can do such a number on us. I don't know how many of you are warriors. I can be a bit of a warrior. And I think there's a lot of people in the world at the moment who are worrying, you know, what is tomorrow going to hold? What is the future going to hold? for us. And, you know, sometimes it's worth looking forward to the future, but so often we can do what Israel did and and we can forget that God is God over our future as much as he is God over our present. We can get so worried about what tomorrow may bring that, that we desperately try and figure out ways to make sure that our own lives will, will do well, will succeed rather than trusting in the care of God. I mean, Jesus said, you know, can any of you by worrying add a single minute to their life, a single hour to their life? Jesus said, God clothes the lilies of the field. I mentioned that in the prayer. And if he looks after the flowers which are here today and gone tomorrow, will he not also look after us? We saw last week in Romans chapter 8, Paul saying that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing at all. And yet so often we do this, what Israel did. We start worrying about tomorrow. And and I think as I look at the story of, of 1 Samuel 8, they worried and they didn't include God in that. They didn't think about whether their worries were justified on the basis of their having a God who loved them and was with them. But they had a solution. And sometimes we can be very good at coming up solutions. And and the solution that they had was was. Well, it was an obvious solution. It was one of those why reinvent the wheel solutions. Every other nation worth their salt had a king. And so the Israelite elders, they arrive at Samuel with their request, and they say, Samuel, give us a king. Okay, fine. So they're going to the prophet of God to do this. And maybe that's because they want to make sure that they're ticking the God box. You know what? Know, get the prophet of God to do it and all be okay kind of thing. But, but the, they weren't coming to find out what God's plan was. They weren't going to Samuel going, Samuel, what is God going to be doing for us? How is God going to look out for us in the future? They weren't inquiring of God. They were coming to Samuel as God's prophet and saying, Samuel, here's the plan. Tick the box. Let's go. You're wanting a king it's not a problem. Um, As way back as as Genesis 17, God, one of the things he said to Abraham was that that Abraham's descendants would include kings. This is something that, that has been in God's plan all along. We know that ultimately Jesus comes as king of kings and lord of lords. Having a king over Israel is not the big problem. The big problem is that they define what is best for them, not in terms of what God said, but in terms of what everyone else was doing. They weren't happy to continue being the people of God. They weren't happy for God to keep on leading them. They weren't happy to keep on being a people, showing the world who God is and his purposes for humanity. They wanted to be like everyone else around them. They wanted to fit in. And so often we we talk about peer pressure. And when we talk about peer pressure, we we usually uh, talk about primary school or high school. But the truth is, Peer pressure is still something that affects all of us, and it affects us at a corporate level as well. The church is tempted to fit in to the world around us. You know, it's so much easier to to say what the world agrees with. And at one point, Paul says, "You know, if um, if I if I wasn't, uh, is oh, catch my words there?" Paul says, you know, if I'm preaching Christ crucified, that's why the world is against me. If, if I wasn't preaching that, then they wouldn't have an issue. It's tempting for us today to, to treat the church as a business rather than as the family of God. It's, it's tempting as the church to to say, well, we're going to just accept what the world says is correct and right and morally appropriate because that way we will, we will have an in with everyone. We will be acceptable. We'll fit. The Israelites here, they they looked around at everyone around them and they said, you know, what makes nations successful? Nations are successful when they have a good king. Isn't it easy for us to look and go, what makes my life successful? Well, it's if I have this, if I have that, if I have that, if I have that. What makes the church successful? Well, if we have this and that and that and all these things, and if we agree with that, then that is going to make us
1: successful. And then we end up playing religion instead of being God's people. Imagine what it must have been like for Samuel to
0: hear this demand, because it's a demand. It's not a request. It's a demand from the people. Isn't it wonderful? You come to the end of a long life of service. And as you're standing there and you're approaching your retirement, the people come to you and they say, Ah! Isn't it time for something better? Isn't it time to, you know, get rid of this old system and move to something that's actually going to be more appropriate for us? Samuel didn't like this idea of setting up a king, of making Israel just like their neighbors. But what he did... It's really instructive for us. He he went and he talked to God about it. He prayed. And what does God answer? God says, Samuel, listen to the people. And he says, Samuel, it's not you that they are rejecting. See, the people thought that their problem, their their worries about the future was, was about a lack of good future leadership. But the problem, the real problem, said God, was was an old problem for Israel. It was rejecting God's rule. The implication of the demand that they brought to Samuel was that God's rule wasn't up to scratch anymore. Because all the successful kingdoms around them, well, they had human kings. And if Israel was to be strong against their enemies, and if Israel was to take up her place on the world stage, then surely they also needed a human king. And God says to Samuel, you know, Israel has got this habit, this propensity for forsaking God and chasing after other gods. This is a a chasing after idols. The difference here is that the God they are chasing after is the God of security of stability. You know, we still run after idols. Uh, They can be literal idols. Most of us usually not, but they can be idols very often. Most of our idols, I think, are idols of security, of pleasure, of stability. We chase after them because we think, we buy into the lie of the world that these things can make our lives better We think that perhaps they can give our lives more and better than God can. And these idols can even be good things. Having a king was part of God's plan for Israel. But when we put our hope and our trust in them, rather than in God, it is a rejection of God. It's saying, God, you are good, but you're not good enough. You cannot provide all that we need. You cannot actually look after us. I think that you are incapable of doing that. See, that's what they're doing. That's what God says to Samuel there in chapter 8, round about verse 7 8. He says, They're rejecting me. They've always chased after other gods. This is a chasing after gods. And so God says, Samuel, go and give them the go ahead. God is going to turn this bad request to good. But he says, Samuel, go and warn them what a king, like everyone else has, is going to be like. Warn them that they're chasing after a king, you'll give them security, but actually this king is going to bleed them dry. They would get the king that they wanted, but it would come at such a cost that by the end of that chapter, we're hearing that they are virtually slaves again. And God says, if you choose this way, you're going to have to live with it. Don't think that you can play both ends of the games. You know, it's, it's a bit like, I, I think I heard the uh, the prime minister or someone say, um, if you went to Bali after the government announced that you shouldn't go to Bali, don't expect a rescue plan. It's the same sort of thing that God is saying here. He's saying, I'm warning you, this is what it's going to be like. And, and when it comes like that, don't come back at me and say, oh, no, we didn't realize kind of thing. You're going to have to lie in the bed that you've made. And, and, you know, this is actually what happened. Life got difficult under the kingdoms, under the kings. Uh, life under King Solomon was not easy. He built an amazing temple. He built an amazing palace. In fact, he might have built a couple of palaces. And and. He conscripted people. He he had people working hard. And then when Solomon uh, passed on and his son Rehoboam became king, the people sent a message to Rehoboam and said, Rehoboam, uh, would you mind you know making things a little bit easier? And, and the, the, the elders of Israel said, you know what, if you do that, the people are going to be on your side forever. And Rehoboam said, yeah, yeah, cool, cool. And then he went and had a chat to his mates. The young advisors, and they said, ah, oh, i tell you what, you know, you got to let everyone know your authority. And so you go and make things twice as hard or three times as hard. Just make it harder than it was of your dad so that, you know, the people realize that you are the real kind of king. You're a, you're a tough king, and they'll respect you for that. And um, you, you might guess which one was the wise advice. And Rabboam listens to his younger advisors, and he, he calls the people back, and he says, yep, you guys wanted to uh, have things ease off a little bit. Good news.'" It's going to get harder. And as a result of that, 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel rebel and form the northern kingdom of Israel. And the kingdom splits, and it's not much better than all the northern kingdom eventually. You know, this, what God is saying, if you want a king, a human king, like all the other nations, it's going to be tough for you. When we put our trust in people or things, that trust is rewarded. You know, they got a king. They got a good military leader in, in in well, a little bit in Saul, but very good in David. But nothing, no person, no thing is meant to bear the weight of all of our trust and hope. And every time we try and put our value and our future in entrusting in that to one of those things. They will crumble and eventually will lead us
1: into darkness. Israel ended up being led astray, led away from God. The
0: elders of Israel were warned, verse 19 and 20, but
1: they'd already decided
0: what they wanted to do. And so again, they come back to Samuel and they say, Samuel, We want a king, but but they add in an extra bit. Have a listen to this. What do they say? They say, even so, verse 19, we still want a king. We want to be like the nations around us. Here's the extra bit. Our king will judge us and will lead us into battle. They want someone to go ahead of them
1: and fight their battle. The problem is that's God's job.
0: Deuteronomy 20, God says, I will be the one going ahead of you to lead you into battle. I'll be fighting your battles. How did they break down the walls of Jericho? God did it. How did they defeat the nations in the promised land? God did it. It was all about what God did. And here they're turning around, and again, that the truth comes out. They are living in fear because they don't think God can do this. They want to make sure that they've got someone who actually can lead them into battle. It strikes me that they don't really trust God. And what's funny about that is that God has just proved himself in 1 Samuel chapter 7. You know, I don't know about you, but I can... I can be just like that. I can chase after things to make me feel safe and secure. It's so easy for us to trust in things rather than trusting that God actually cares for us, that he is safe, that he is the safe place for us. You know, a a king was part of God's plan. Often the things we run to are
1: good things. If we think about where we are at the moment, it's a good thing for us to self-isolate. It would be absolutely
0: terrible if we said, you know, because I trust God, I won't do that. And we, you might have heard stories of some uh, Christians and some churches saying exactly that. Self-isolation is going to keep us healthy. It's it's a good thing. But it cannot calm our fears. It cannot save our lives. If we make what we do the most important thing in our lives, we are missing out on the fact that it is God who leads us, God who goes ahead of us, God who watches over us. We have a part to play, but but we cannot kick God out of his role as captain of our lives. (laughs) The people demanded a king, and God said, Samuel, give them a king. You know, this is... The really interesting thing, even when we do the wrong thing, God doesn't abdicate from his throne. God doesn't say, "Ah, fine, give him a king. I'm walking away from this. God says, Samuel, give them a king. But you notice what he says. uh, It's Samuel is going to give the king. It's not, let's figure out who's going to be a really good king. It's God who appoints the king over Israel. It's God who leads Samuel to, well, who actually leads Saul to Samuel. It's God who then leads Samuel to anoint David. It is God who is setting up the king. The people have demanded it, but God is doing it according to God's plans. And the king that God sets up is not meant to be a king like all the other nations. It's meant to be someone who points the people towards a loving God. And, you know, the kings were not perfect. David wasn't perfect, but, but David loved God and, and God blessed him and made promises to David that his kingdom would reign forever. There were other kings who who abandoned God, who led the people further and further away from God until eventually they were sent into exile for their sin. Israel needed a king, but not a king like those nations around them. They needed a king whose kingdom wasn't of this world. Yes, they needed a king, and, and a king would demand everything from them, but they needed a king who would give everything to them. Who would even give himself for them. In a word, they needed God to be their king. They were asking for a king when what they needed was what they had. What they needed was God. God said, give them a king. Because God was planning to not stop being their king, but he was planning to come as one of them, as one of us, to be their king. Next week is Easter. There's going to be a different Easter where we, we're not able to come together. We'll have a service on the Friday. We'll have a service uh, on the Sunday, again on Zoom, uh, with the same numbers that you used this morning. And we're going to be talking more about Jesus, our king. We're going to be talking more about his enthronement, how he is the culmination of all that God has promised. But today we want to remember that this king is not like any other king. You know, when he was standing before Pilate, um, Pilate said, so you are a king then. And Jesus said to him, my kingdom is not of this world. You know, if Jesus had wanted to, he could have, Called upon legions of angels to take him off that cross. He could have called upon legions of angels to to fight off the gods who had come to arrest him. As he was being tortured and beaten, he could have, with a with a breath, hauled down the wrath of God and all of these people. But he is not a king like the kings of this world. He's a king who comes. And says, I demand that you follow me
1: with your everything. But I ask that because I have given you everything. I ask that because I have made it possible for you to be with me. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, I received from the Lord what I also
0: passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread
1: When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death.
0: If you have some elements at home, I invite you to join
1: We remember Jesus who died. Body was broken for us. The kind of king, not like this world, who demands our all, but who gives us his all. We remember him. Thank you, Father, that you don't give up on us. Chase after other things. Lord Jesus, thank you that you. God, thank you that because of your death and resurrection, we don't have to worry about tomorrow. Thank you that you are. Bled for us. Not the kind of king who leaves us empty. Not the kind of king who uses us. Kind of king, well, yes, he uses us, but he gives himself for us. Kind of king who loves us. Kind of king who would die for us. not the kind of king they were asking for in one Samuel but the kind of king that the kind the of king that we need we remember Lord. Times when we chase security. <clears throat> Lord, for the times when we come to you and we imply that you're not enough for us. Lord, be our king. Lord, what we need most in this world is you. Thank you that you are the kind of king gives us. Because of that, Lord, help us to give us our Lord. Thank you,
0: Jesus. We're going to sing together uh, our last song this morning. Uh, how deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wrench, um, usually it, it feels wrong to not say stand and sing. If you want to stand and sing, that'd be great. Uh, but wherever you are, let's sing this song together.